When Andrew was seven, he kept a journal, and he wrote about a lot of things, including his baby brother. Thursday, November 16th, mother says, I may take care of my baby brother. I can stay with him if I'm not rough. One way to make him laugh is to tickle him. I like to stay home and take care of him. I don't have a baby brother. Full confession. That's Andrew reading about his imaginary baby brother. I'm Dan Meisner, and this, this is Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote As Kids. It's a show where we go back in time to remember the good, the bad, and the awkward parts of growing up. And we do it all in front of a live audience. Where's that live audience? There they are. This time, recorded live in Whitehorse, Yukon Territory, we have reluctant singing and dancing, a very bloody horror story, and a list of ways to make Whitehorse a better place. This stuff is weird, it is wonderful, and it can help us figure out who we are today. So think about who you were when you were a kid, and stick around. When our next reader, Jenny, was 16, it was the late 1980s. She was young, she was gay, she was in love, and she was living in the Yukon. And as Jenny told me... The mentality here was still the late 60s when it came to being gay. So Jenny and her girlfriend kept their relationship secret. And as part of their secret courtship, Jenny wrote her girlfriend a poem in English class. She called it Love on the Engine. And at our White Horse show, Jenny got on stage to share that poem and another piece of teenage writing. Love on the engine. The day we met, my heart turned to a flower. And although you're built like a truck, <laughs> I never need to cower. You lighten my life with your smile and cologne. And I think of you profusely when I'm alone. We met on conditions of fear and pain due to your mother beating me with her cane. But I forgave you. Then my love enslaved you. And then I engraved your name in my arm. You are mine now. The man of the road. My wounded cuts your hand has sewed. Stitches of love and memories of us. I am so glad you drive a rig and not a Greyhound bus. <laughs> I will miss you, Joe, and I hope you know that your love drove down the highway of my heart in the cab of your gigantic red semi-truck. I heard the roar of your engine as you drove away, but I know in my heart you'll be back someday. You'll drive a billion miles, Joe, down long, dusty roads just for my love and the taste of my asparagus meatloaves. <laughs> the lovely young girl liked it. My English teacher asked me not to write poetry again. <laughs> So I decided I would be an intellectual. 
you know, like Nietzsche. <laughs> Composition in B-flat major. I was also a band nerd. Deep inspiration, barium enema. What is the difference? <laughs> Both refresh your system, never really expecting either. Eventually you get the same taste in your mouth. A warm, acidic mucus covers your palate and clogs your nasal passages to your esophagus. Do you like this? Or do you wish it was just better? I look and I see nothing but a brain full of dreams and a colon as clean as a whistle. I don't know about anything anymore. You're all confused and extremely vulnerable. I mean, is it all right to love something till it makes you so crazy that you want to kiss it and kill it at the same time? No one knows, let alone cares. And you don't know what you're supposed to say or think. Should you make the glorious leap of faith, jump right in and hope that they, your one true love, don't crush you, your oh-so-aching heart? standing with one foot before me and one behind, realizing nothing is beneath me, but I do not fall. <laughs> the future will only tell if gravity works. <laughs> and we do it to ourselves every day. Well, such is life. Yeah, I was secretly courting a girl. I'd written this poem for her, to make her laugh and to prove I could have deep emotions. She did think it was funny. I mean, she thought it was funny enough. She kept the poem and a bunch of other things I had written. And me, she also kept me. 27 years later, we're still together. I no longer write her poetry, but I do make her asparagus meatloaf. It is her favorite. I love it when kid writing includes local references or is rooted in a particular time or place. It's a big part of why we travel with this show, so we can hear stories from all over. And when Laurel was in grade six, she wrote a list. As you'll hear, it's the kind of list that could only be written in the Yukon. Ways I would like to improve Whitehorse. <laughs> I think if people don't know this already, the river flows north to Dawson. Whitehorse isn't a bad place at all, but it could use a few improvements. Whitehorse is a new place, though, and it hasn't had much of a chance to improve it. First off, Riverdale is quite away from downtown. And say you wanted some candy, you would have to walk all the way downtown to get it. I think they could have a small grocery shop in Riverdale. Another thing is, that Whitehorse needs a sewer. Actually, this is Dawson's problem, but I think we could use a sewer. <laughs> I think that Hogan's department store could have better service too. <laughs> uh, 
parking meters could be taken away also. (laughs) Not because they are expensive, but the very reason that you might park in front of one and suddenly remember, you don't have any change. You can't go in a store to get change without that old bag coming and giving you a ticket. (laughs) That is one of the adult's reasons, probably. Well, those are my four reasons to make Whitehorse a better place. Thank you. A quick bit of follow-up, Laurel now works for the government of Yukon. She manages the arts section, so in her own way, she is working to improve Whitehorse. And speaking of local flavor, we are taking this show on the road. We just announced live events in Toronto, Halifax, Montreal, Hamilton, and Kitchener, and we are looking for readers. For all of the details, visit our website, grownupsreadthingstheywroteaskids.com. A lot of what we hear on stage at Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote as Kids is funny. It's cute or weird or embarrassing. But sometimes readers share writing that touches on difficult subjects, stuff that can be hard to share, especially in public. Our next reader, Bonnie, brought along a few short poems written when she was in high school. Please welcome to our stage, Bonnie. A quick heads up, Bonnie's poetry does include cuss words, which we do not bleep. Um, so I, um, I am a survivor of abuse and assault, and I was bullied a lot as a kid. Um, this poem is about the first true friend that I ever had. It's called Paper Wings. I soar above the world on these paper wings you fashioned me. Oh, beautiful world, with all its shortcomings forgotten to me. A gift I opened tentatively, seeing the world from below taught me to be skeptical, and found inside these paper wings, tiny paper wings, frail paper wings, believing unleashed their magic. And now I soar above the world on these paper wings you fashioned me. And it's funny, from up here the world seems a miracle, and these paper wings seem real. Do you remember? Do you remember when you used to own me, when I was a possession sitting stationary next to your computer? Uncross your arms, don't cut your hair, stay thin, get proper, pretend, pretend to be happy, pretend to be perfect, be my dream girl, change, now stay the same. Do you remember the bruise on my arm, the way I used to cry, how good you were at ignoring me, Why can't you be cool, be like her, love me like she should, go on a diet, shut your fat face, tell me I'm the greatest, know that you're not. Do you remember telling me you loved me while I begged you not to, quietly with my eyes, ruining me? You don't deserve me, you'll never change, slut, bitch, whore. I'll always be a part of you, like it or not. Do you remember? Because I know I don't.
I'm gonna do one more. This is for my other best friend. Sunshine. Sometimes the world is gray, and this depression is so deep. I have no will, but I wait, because I know that when you walk into this gloom, I will smile. I won't even have to try. You do that somehow. Hi, Dan. It's Bonnie calling. Um, I think that teenage Bonnie would be absolutely terrified about the fact that I had read some of those poems. I've never publicly before admitted to having been uh, a victim of sexual abuse or assault, and she would have been terrified um, about what people might think about that. If I could go back in time and give younger Bonnie some advice, I would want her to know that she is not the things that happened to her. And she's not defined by what other people chose to do to her. I'd want her to know that she will have a lot of opportunities in her life to define herself by her own actions uh, and what she means to people. And I'd want her to know that it's going to be okay. When Zoe was in grade 10, she made a list of all the things she loved. And as you'll hear, some of them are stereotypical high school favorites, others less so. Okay, big pillows, debates, cinnamon candles, friends who aren't fake, laughing, hip-hop dance, modern dance, perfect ringlets, gel pens, coconut sunscreen, Old musicals with Fred Astaire, Ginger Rogers, Gene Kelly, animals. Sushi, (laughs) French manicure, fluffy snow, slippers, the idea of a global community. (laughs) Beaches, sunrises, sunsets, big sweaters, dance studio floors, defined backs. Breakdancing, alcohol, but it's crossed out and it says no more, yay. Forearms, traveling, music, and then it says classic rock, hip-hop, rap, blues, rock, folk, older. Sex, question mark, ha-ha. Thank you. Our next reader, George, brought along his journal from grade 12, and he read a couple of entries about his struggles with girls, musical theater, and growing up. Live on stage in Whitehorse, 
Here's George. November 8th. Today was an average day, which is sad enough to say is an extremely boring day. I went to school, came home, and then I went to bed. I guess it is really time to put my life into perspective. I mean, in six months, I am graduating, and I really can't believe this day has come. I still remember the first time I waited outside elementary school, and now I'm graduating. It truly has been an experience. November 9th, I can't dance. Yes, you guessed it, I'm at drama, and sadly enough, we are dancing. Seems every night at musical theater, we are either dancing or we are singing. I mean, don't get me wrong, I love singing and dancing, but it's just, I don't really have the knack for it. Sure, it's fun and we get to meet new people, but I still can't figure out why it is always, in all caps, dance, dance, dance. (laughs) November 11th. Tonight I'm going bowling with Lana and Daryl. It is weird how I go through different phases. For example, during the summer I used to love to play pool, and now with winter just around the corner... Bowling is starting to become the cool thing to do. I don't know why or how, but I think I'm becoming a bowling addict. (laughs) November 15th, I never thought it would happen, but once again, I'm lost for words. November 16th, it is amazing. It is amazing, tonight there is no scheduled dancing. So tonight at Musical Theater, we are working on our acting scenes. November 17th, tonight I'm going out for coffee. I don't really do this often and come to think of it, I think it's really cheesy. But hey, I thought I'd sit back and try to reflect on my school year. It also gives me a good opportunity to talk to my friends because hey, these are the times you remember. (laughs) Anyway, I hope you guys have a good life. (laughs) November 18th. Last night was really weird. I mean, I drank five cups of coffee and I never drink coffee. (laughs) And I also smoked two cigarettes and I never smoke cigarettes. I also did come up with a lot of great memories. (laughs) I remember in grade three how I was like the smartest guy in my class. And then how next year it all went downhill. (laughs) And now I'm thinking about today and how sad it is that I've never had a girlfriend throughout my entire high school life. November 20th, today was another exhausting day at work. And the fact that I had a hangover didn't help either. (laughs) Oh yeah, in case I haven't told you, it's back, my yearly love attack. Every year I fall in love with a girl, and this year it's Tara Somer. I mean, it's weird, she makes work fun. She's gotta be the nicest person in the world. I'll update you on how that goes. (laughs) November 21st, today is my sister's birthday. I still can't believe she's 20, wow. That means she's been allowed to drink for a full year legally. And now she's going to get free drinks from all her friends. And at the bar she goes to, that means no money spent on alcohol. And she can still get ripped out of her tree. That lucky pound sign, dollar sign, percent sign, pound sign. Grade 12. (laughs) November 25th. Tonight I think I'll be a rebel and try to get drunk. It's been almost two months since I was last drunk and there's only so long someone can go without drinking.
When you're a kid and you have a crush on somebody, there are lots of ways to deal with that. You could just come out with it and tell them directly. You could write them a love note and pass it to them in the hall. Or you could tell your friend to tell their friend to tell them that you have a crush on them. You have lots of options. When Bridget was 13, she had a crush on a guy named Manny. But she never worked up the courage to tell him. Instead, she wrote a short horror story starring herself and Manny. She called the story 10 to 12, as in 11.50 p.m., and it's all about two kids, Manny and Bridget, who have to break into a haunted house so they can join a gang of popular kids. Live on stage in Whitehorse, here's Bridget. 10 to 12. Manny and I were waiting by the broken-down gate for someone to go first. We were both scared out of our wits and trembling in our boots. I glanced at Manny. Are you scared, Manny, I asked. Yes, are you? He answered, looking deeply into my green eyes. (laughs) You bet, but we have to do this if we want to become jet sets. Being a jet set meant being in the most popular group in town. We would be able to go to parties, dances, bars, and have anything we ever wanted. Only on one condition, we had to pass the test, which was to bring back Abigail Stepson's blood by 12 midnight. The only way we were allowed to do it is to go to the Stepson mansion after sunset. We had to go into the room where Mr. Stepson had killed his wife in a jealous rage. He had found her in bed with another man, had shot the man, beaten Abigail, and had axed her to death. Then he had bathed in her blood and had shot himself holding Abigail's head. No one had dared to go in after hearing legends that Abigail's soul lived on seeking revenge. Manny and I heard these stories, and it made us twice as scared. (laughs) Not scared enough. We moved slowly and carefully towards the house. We had packed everything we thought we'd need. I took out my flashlight because it was getting dark. I looked at my watch. It was 10 o'clock, two hours left to get her blood. Ladies first, I heard Manny whisper. You wish, I replied, trying to keep cool. We're going together or not at all. Now move it. I opened the noisy door and we walked in. The room in front of us was furnished with antiques, which hadn't been taken care of for a long time. It was covered with dust and spider webs. We proceeded to the staircase. The walls were full of old pictures, which seemed to stare down at us. We got upstairs and saw a long, endless hallway. On each side were the doors of every room. Manny, which one is it? I inquired. I don't know. All I know is it's full of blood, he replied. Try the first one, I said. No, you, ha- you can have the honor, he answered. Manny, I opened the door downstairs, so you try the first door, I ordered. He obeyed and opened the door. It was dark in the room. Manny waved his flashlight around. The room was empty. We moved to the next. I heard a loud moan and clutched Manny's arm. Did you hear that, I cried. Yes, let's get the blood and get out of here. He opened the next door. What we found scared us to death. A dead man's body lay on the ground, a knife sticking out of his back, and his chest opened up. I screamed in horror and slammed the door shut. Manny opened the third door. The room was, fur- <laughs> the room was furnished with a dresser, a mirror, a bench, a chest, a closet, and a canopy bed. This is it, he cried. Look at that, I cried back, pointing towards the canopy bed covered with blood. We moved to it bravely, not suspecting what was waiting for us. Just as we got to the edge of the bed, a half-decomposed man jumped out and grabbed me. I screamed and fought, but it was of no use. 
Manny reached into his pack and took out a knife. He threw it and got him in the head. He let me go and dropped to the ground. I cried in relief. We moved carefully to the bathroom where Mr. Stepson had bathed in Abigail's blood. I looked back fearfully at the rigid body on the ground thinking it must have been Abigail's lover. We reached the bathroom and Manny pushed open the squeaky door. We both stared in shocked horror. There in the tub filled with blood was Abigail's body without the head. I almost threw up. Pass me the tube, Bridge, Manny asked, being, getting brave. Here, thanks. Be careful, Manny. I will. Don't worry, Bridge. Manny? What? I know it's a bad time to tell you this, but we might not get out of here alive, so I love you. <laughs> you do? Yes, me too. <laughs> I glanced at my watch. We were running out of time. It was 11.30. We had to hurry up and meet the jet sets at 12. Manny reached out and dipped the, the tube in the pool of blood. He filled it up and put a cap on it. Let's go, Manny yelled. We ran through the long hallway. Just as we were about to start down, down the stairs, Manny tripped over something. He picked it up. It's her head, I screamed in terror. Manny yelled and sent it flying down to the other end of the hallway. Run, run, he cried. We ran down the staircase. I was in front of Manny. I heard him yell. I never bothered looking back because I was so frightened. I threw open the door and ran to the street where the jet sets were waiting. It was 11.50, 10 minutes left. We made it, we made it, I yelled, jumping up and down. I turned to hug Manny and almost fainted, seeing him covered with blood and the knife he had used to kill Abigail's boyfriend sticking out of his chest. <laughs> he handed me the tube of blood. What happened, I asked. He looked deeply into my eyes and fell to the ground unconscious. <laughs> Call an ambulance, I screamed. A month later, we were both back in school. <laughs> We'd become the hottest couple in town. <laughs> Everything was great, except I never found out what happened that night on the stairs. Memories haunted me for the rest of my life, but what annoyed me the most was never knowing if Abigail had done it or not. The end. <laughs> After the show, Bridget told me that, yes, Manny was a real boy that she liked. That part was true. But the rest of that story, that was entirely made up. That is Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote as Kids. Our show was recorded live at the Old Fire Hall in Whitehorse, Yukon Territory, and produced by Jenna Meisner. Our live show was co-presented by Byte, an organization dedicated to empowering Northern youth. Our music is by Poddington Bear and Lullatone. Olivia Nashmi is our intern. Special thanks to Tara McCarthy for her help with live sound at this show. And if all of this sounds like fun to you, why not be part of a live Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote as Kids event? We just announced shows in Toronto, Ottawa, Montreal, Halifax, Kitchener, and Hamilton, and I would love to hear the things you wrote when you were a kid. For more information, visit the website grownupsreadthingstheywroteaskids.com, or even easier, use the link in the show notes on your device right now. I'm Dan Meisner. Thanks for listening. <laughs>